Hello, everyone, and welcome back for a new season of the Outdoor Adventure Series podcast, where we celebrate individuals and families, businesses, and organizations that seek out and promote the exploration, stewardship, conservation, access, and enjoyment of the outdoors. Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Rock Creek Coffee Roasters, home of small batch, freshly roasted coffee, and who doesn't like freshly roasted coffee first thing in the morning when you're doing a podcast. I know I do. So our guest today is Erica Nelson. Now, Erica is a uh, fellow member of the Outdoor Writers Association of America. I feel like we are, I don't know if it would maybe like first cousin, second cousin, so to speak. And I'm very excited to uh, have her join us here on the Outdoor Adventure Series. Now, Erica is a self-taught angler and fly fishing guide. She is passionate about sharing her learning journey. Erica, Happy New Year, and thank you for joining me at my first episode for 2023. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. And really excited. The Last year, we focused a lot on the environment, and we had a little bit of discussion around access. In some cases, it was folks who were talking about and passionate about access for individuals with disabilities. And I know as I, I saw you had joined the OWAA and I thought, here's a, first of all, a woman who's passionate about angling. I thought, well, I'm sure it's that story and there's a lot of other aspects to your story. And so for our listeners, just kind of introduce yourself to them and, and share a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today, a successful fly fishing guide. You're, you, you've contributed a lot of pieces on some major uh, outdoor-related and media-related venues. And just, I know there's a lot going on here. So why don't you kick us off? Get, let's tell us about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, my name is Erica Nelson. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. I currently live on the ancestral lands of the Ute, currently known as Crested Butte, Colorado. Um, very beautiful, very snowy right now. <laughs> um, really awesome place to fly fish, also known as the Gunnison Valley, which is pretty incredible fly fishing all year round. <laughs> and so I am the co-founder of Real Consulting, um, which stands for um, Reconcile, Evolve, Advance, and Lead. And we have co-created the Angling for All Pledge, which I'm happy to talk about uh, later. But overall, we lead individuals and organizations towards racial equity, justice, and inclusion. Um, I'm also a fly fishing guide here in Colorado, which is, I just got done with my second year last year. So it's it's a new thing for me that I've been getting into. However, I've been outdoor guiding for over 10 years, um, whitewater, backpacking, rock climbing, you name it. I've probably coached it or taught it, skiing, snowboarding, et cetera. And so I am by no means awesome. I like to kind of reach a mediocre point and say that I can do it to keep up. Um, however, I do have a passion of education that's always been a theme of throughout my outdoor adventures is just kind of i don't need to be awesome to get other people into these sports yeah get outside and, and try new things and so um i definitely have a love for for water whether that's a calm river to getting a permit down some white water multi-day type stuff that's always been really fun for me i serve a couple of boards um one in particular i'm a co-chair of women's wilderness and so that's an organization based in Boulder, Colorado, and we just kind of help um, girls, women, non-binary 
folks kind of explore the outdoors um, and really just kind of empower them to build confidence and find their own power within themselves um, when it comes to the outdoors. So some really great organizations that I'm a part of is also Brown Folks Fishing. And that is started out as a social media account of getting people of color um, kind of more represented that, hey, we, we do fish, whether it's fly fishing, tinkara, spear fishing, spin gear fishing, you name it. Folks from all over the world can hashtag and share their story as well. We also kind of do different programming, like which I'm happy to get into later as well. But sure. it's it's a really great broad community. And being an ambassador has been pretty awesome to get to know other anglers along the U.S. and Canada and then kind of beyond as well internationally. So that's kind of a whirlwind, of, I guess, about me. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I also host a podcast as well called the Awkward Angler Podcast. So Very good. Very good. Well, we're going to circle back to a few items that uh, just caught my attention and here as you were sharing your introduction and uh, out on your website. So Crested Butte, uh, that's a major ski destination. Were you born and raised in this area or did you, did you just happen to say, that's the area I want to live? I actually was born and raised in New Mexico, kind of in okay. the Four Corners area. Um, the largest town nearby is Farmington, but I grew up just, um, um, just outside of Farmington in a town called Kirtland. Um, well, there's it, not really, I, I never really got a, a, to explore the outdoors. Um, most of my trips were school sponsored. Um, I'm just thinking about skiing. I think one of the first times I went skiing was with my dad. My dad liked to ski. Um, and then also just like school trips. <laughs> Durango was about an hour north of us. And so it was easy to kind of get up to Purgatory Mountain and start skiing. And I've lived kind of all over the West, Oregon, Alaska, <laughs> California, Nevada, Wyoming. And now I live in Colorado. And I actually was moved here to work for Vail Resorts. And so there was a, the Crested Butte Mountain Resort has always been family owned and operated and then sold the mountain to Vail. And so I was actually hired and recruited to move here and kind of help with the change management. So doing organizational development, really working on um, systems, culture change, which is always uh, emotional and hard and, and difficult, but also can be really exciting and rewarding for others. And so that's kind of what drove me here um, was for a different a job, I guess. And then I noticed, hey, there's some pretty awesome fishing here. <laughs> and there's really no other female fly fishing guides, let alone indigenous guides in Colorado. And so that's kind of what why what kept me here. So while I no longer work for Vail Resort as of 2020, I now have kind of just found community here in, in Crested Butte and fell in love with the fishing and and the people here are pretty awesome. And it's a beautiful area. Okay. Very nice. And I noticed on one of your updates, you had a neighbor come by with a big snowplow and, and kind of shoveled your your sidewalk and maybe your neighbor's sidewalk. And so there's a lot of snow up there in Crested Butte. How how are things going so far this year with the snow? Yeah, it's uh, definitely a little bit less. Last year was like last year was a really weird year. At the end, or excuse me, 2021 was a weird year. The end of December. We got slammed 100 inches in five-ish days, and it was pretty wild. And then I didn't have a snowblower or access to one, and so it was a lot of it's a lot of shoveling, uh, which I was like, all right, getting ready for uh, the season with rowing. <laughs> and so 
This year is is just a little bit below, but we're still on track. And we get really excited about snow, not only because it's a ski town, but also um, what that turns into in the spring and the summer, which is abundance of, of water and resources to have. Um, and to be so close in, in access to the headwaters of the Gunnison River is pretty pretty beautiful. And so definitely want to see more, but it is nice like today to have a, a bit of calm weather <laughs> a blueberry okay. day. <laughs> okay. Now, growing up around the, the Four Corners in New Mexico, and you, you mentioned your, your dad liked to ski, you would go skiing with him. Was your family, were they outdoor enthusiasts? Because I think I had read that you were kind of a couch potato when you yeah. were first <laughs> growing up. Yeah, I I definitely became a couch potato my first years in, in college, that's for sure. I was more of an indoorsy kid, I would say. I mean, most of my outdoor activities were probably playing um, sports, so like soccer, softball, things like that. And then my family never really went camping. There was maybe an annual trip here and there, whether that was skiing, whether that was camping, whether that was just kind of getting outdoors. And so um, a lot of my... I didn't realize this at the time until I got much older and reflecting, but, you know, yeah, I played outside as a kid, which is still getting outdoors and being an outdoorsy kid. <laughs> but for the most part, I really just didn't like getting outside. <laughs> I hated the sun, the wind. There was always like sand in my teeth growing up in the desert. <laughs> so, I hated the sweat. <laughs> it wasn't until my family moved to Las Vegas, Nevada, pretty much the day after I graduated high school. Okay. And so I was 18 and I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? And ended up moving to Utah, um, the Provo area. And so it was waking up in that valley that was just like, wow, here I am. The mountains are just right there. There's a lake right there. I'm curious on what is between these two mountains. So I would start hiking up a canyon and I would kind of not push myself, but I ended up becoming curious of like, oh, I wonder what's around the next little bend. I wonder what's next. I wonder what's next. I wonder how far I could go. I wonder what the view looks like. And so um, it was just this curiosity that got to me. Eventually, it kind of, I kind of got bit by this bug. <laughs> of, okay, this is pretty cool. Let's try backpack. Let's let's try staying the night and then try backpacking and see what this is like. And so it wasn't until I was like eighteen, nineteen, until I finally got my my butt off the couch. <laughs> okay, I love the word curious as a, a professional development coach. So. I mean, podcasting, you get to be curious as well about your guests and you ask questions and learn more about them. But when you share that, to me, that's a very important word because mm -hmm. if we're not curious, then one, we don't know about our surroundings. We don't know about our neighbor or what's going on in the community or out our back door. In your case, the these valleys, this valley between the two mountains and you all of a sudden learn something and you also learn about yourself and what am I capable of? Right. And so I, I love that word curious as you began to get more curious and you're starting to explore and perhaps it's, it's out on the water, on the trail, the bike, perhaps what, what were some of the activities that really drew you in? Like, this is fun and I could see myself doing more and more. What, what were some of those activities as your curiosity continued to evolve? Yeah, I would say I was mostly predominantly curious by like backpacking. Like it was just 
the next range, <laughs> the next range. <laughs> Let's follow this canyon. And that curiosity kind of turned into this, just this passion of like, hey, if I can do that, it also builds some confidence as well in my, uh, I would say the skills that I learned outdoors were transferable to a work environment. So it was building more confidence of like, hey, I can actually sleep on this rock. I can actually make it to this ridge. And so things when I came back to the city or when I came back to work, little things where people got irritated at, whether there was no more ink in the printer, for example, that seemed very like minor in comparison to like, hey, I just put myself mentally and physically through this awesome thing. And then here I am seeing these beautiful places in, in the world to be able to do that and then I turned that passion into education as well. Mm -hmm. I did have a little bit of a mishap of getting lost <laughs> and it did cause a big search and rescue party. And that was like a very life-changing moment of looking at leadership skills, looking at my own self-awareness and how I dealt with that situation, really just getting curious about myself and how I reacted to certain things and how I can do better. And so if I can learn this outdoors, I want to bring working professionals out here about their jobs and, and kind of how does this translate. And that kind of grew into this love of like, hey, why aren't we talking about these things in the office, about building more confidence, being a better communicator, especially when I got into whitewater, whitewater guiding. It was you had to be very, um, a very good communicator and very direct <laughs> and make decisions that were dealing with risk management. And so it was this like. I started out with just hiking and backpacking and turned into this love of making decisions and how do I actually bring this back into my career as well. Very nice. As you were exploring, were you exploring by yourself? Did you have friends, family, co-workers that would go out with you? Yeah, a lot of it was actually by myself. I did buy like a one-way plane ticket to Alaska one summer and it was just totally on a whim. That way I could try backpacking. Um, I ended up making friends that were also had the same attitude of like, hey, I, I, I'm from Minnesota. I want to try this thing too. Or, And so that's kind of how I tapped into just making friends by just saying yes and doing things and kind of not questioning it and kind of putting fear to the side. And then I ended up creating communities back when I lived in Oregon. It was the hot thing was like meet up a website. <laughs> but old, oh, I, I'm yeah, getting I old. No, I try. I, I raised my hand there. Yes, I saw your head. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And like that translated into creating group hikes and different things of other people, finding other community that also were passionate about the things you did, but didn't maybe have a partner or didn't have friends that also like to do the things that you did. And so, and that has actually evolved into this online community that I've been able to create on my Instagram account mostly. So starting Awkward Angler and getting into angling I'm familiar with using the interwebs, I guess, and, and creating actual community where I was able to meet people in my area. Now that I pretty much live remote, <laughs> it's building my own online community via social media these days. And it's been pretty awesome to continue and, and meet other folks that are passionate about the things that you do. Sure. No, I, I as a podcaster and a member of the OWAA like we are, we have friends literally all over the world. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, it's nice. We can get together like this and drink a cup of coffee or have an, an adult beverage. If that's what we want right time of day, it's fun. And it, that keeps us engaged. And I think that was so necessary for us, especially two years ago when we're right in the middle of COVID 
and we a lot of people didn't know how to be online and, and engage, but here you are creating these communities, and that's fantastic. I am curious, though, as you were gaining this exposure to the outdoor activities, getting the experience, growing your confidence, when did you begin to become aware that for Black, Indigenous, Indigenous people of color, that maybe they're, they were not as included in, in not, I don't mean included by you can't come here, but I mean included in being able to embrace, there's a whole other world out here that you should be taking advantage of. When did that start to evolve for you? Yeah, I have like very two instances that come to mind and they're kind of polar opposites. One is my, when I was getting into whitewater guiding, I didn't realize it at the time because this was also a new activity for me to do completely. And I had a lot of, this is now like reflecting back of, I had a lot of women mentors. There was a lot of women in this community. I was guiding on the American River outside of Coloma, California. And the the guide service I went through, the outfitting that I went through and that community that they were a part of were predominantly women. There was a lot of great males as well, but they were um, they were very, it was very communal that I've, I've, I reflected on and found it's everyone looking out for each other, not only for risk management, but also being part of the same <laughs> company and community. It was, this is not a, always a super hundred percent safe thing to do. And <laughs> there's risks out there and looking out for each other's backs and, and head counts constantly throughout the day. And while you're having fun as well. And so it wasn't until I kind of got into fly fishing. And when I got into fly fishing, I, the moment I realized that you can fly fish from a boat, this is awesome. And so I could actually take the skills that I had with whitewater guiding and put them into practice. And if you know how to row, uh, you can go. It's kind of a saying in the fly fishing community uh, where you're not the only person rowing, but you can have a partner there to switch, right? Where you're also fishing as well. And so I was able to get more familiar with fly fishing hone in my skills. I had a really great mentor that I found in the fly fishing community that was really helping me with with casting and everything fly fishing. And then yet I was able to kind of get him on fish as well while I was rowing. And so it, it was kind of this exchange. But once that relationship, I, I moved and so I no longer have that relationship available to me. I've kind of just sat there and kind of observed being part of the fly fishing community alone. And not having any kind of left again with like no friends. I have to kind of build another community. And I noticed it just was completely opposite of the experiences that I had with Whitewater. It was very individualistic. It was very, I, I dealt with a lot of rudeness, a lot of discrimination, a lot of things that you just, that were just completely different. And not only mannerisms, but unspoken rules, attitudes, behaviors. And things that I was observing was just like, this is not fun. Like, I don't want to go to that river again if I have to run into people like that again. And so it just kind of became this turnoff and kind of looking as a huge, like, just not feeling like I was welcomed at all when this is a very natural and available resource for everybody and everyone deserves to be here. And so these conversations get a little awkward. <laughs> and so that's kind of why. I started this platform of Awkward Angler is not only learning how to fish is awkward, but also in getting yourself involved and immersed into the community is not always easy. There's a lot of bullying I see, not only in person, but online. 
there's a lot of homophobia, transphobia, fatphobia. It's it's pretty bad. Like once I started kind of getting more immersed into the fly fishing community and I was like, this is not okay. <laughs> and yeah, it just kind of, those are just moments that I've kind of, I've seen. And, and then it's just kind of been a comparison and a difference that I've seen over the years. Sure. I have to include, as you were describing this, you're not the first person that ever described some of those scenarios, the rudeness, mm -hmm. the bullying. There's a, an individual, he was on our, our podcast last year, and I recall he was out there on some piece of the river, and there was another individual downriver, upriver, I don't know. I've never been fishing, by the way. I will share that with you. I've never, but I'm going to take care of that this year. That's my goal. All right. But they were confronted by somebody who was very angry and said, this is my river. Mm -hmm. And if the, if that individual is angry at some other man, this was a Caucasian white man, I can imagine how they treated somebody who was not like them. Mm -hmm. Is this a, is angling and being a, a fly fishing guide is this a type of activity that you can provide a service to a group of, say, other women who also want to explore being in nature, outdoors, learning a skill? Or is it a one-on-one -on -one type of lesson that you provide? I do both. Um, I really, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to become a fly fishing guide was, um, you know, how I, how access was made available to me with somebody reaching their hand out and saying, I'm here, I'm here to coach you. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to lose flies and it's okay to fall in the river and laugh at yourself. Or... You haven't fallen in the river, have you? Oh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's slippery. And it's just one of those things that happens. And okay. um, yeah, and just kind of getting over that. That's the awkwardness, right? And of learning how to fish and things happen even with veterans, folks that have been fishing forever. And so I, I find a lot of joy in clinics and workshops in that's typically budget friendly as well for organizations and groups. And so things like that are really fun. You can make it really fun, kind of friendly, competitive. And it's just, it's, I don't know, learning how to cast and learn different skills and knots. I've noticed this confidence come about when it comes to groups of women or other identities are, are not male. And so it's really cool to see and do it as a group and do it together. It's very communal and very fun. And then individual, I would say, just kind of depending on folks' skills and their goals of what they want to do. So for example, there's certain casts and things I want to try these days. And so I would consider a one-on-one -on -one coach um, of like, hey, help me with this one thing that I want to do. And that can be a little bit better. So there's, there's different pros and cons and, and ways to approach learning. Sure. Okay. Okay. What advice would you give a community or an individual, uh, a BIPOC community of, of individuals to begin to explore the outdoors? Perhaps it is hiking, perhaps it is fly fishing or whitewater rafting. What, what advice would you give them to get started? Yeah, it takes just a lot of bravery to just get out and do. And also just, I mean, not also, but just kind of setting some goals. I think I'm, I'm, I'm a goal setter. I'm a sucker for goals. And so I start small. I remember one of my goals was to climb Mount Hood in heels, which I still haven't done. And it's still a goal, but um, <laughs> I've heard it. Mount Hood can be so easy to do that. 
I know. It was, it was a thing that when I lived in Oregon was a thing. And then, but I have never been on a hike on Mount Hood before. And so it was just this like realistic goals, right? Of how can I start motivating myself to be able to accomplish that goal? And I think if fly fishing seems very, very distant and very unattainable, but that's something you want to do, maybe just finding a local pond and sitting by the water, that is a completely like awesome thing to do and to reach and just start small and, um, you know, what are things that you can do? What are things that are accessible? And one of the things that has helped me is plugging into communities. And so finding other people that are also exploring the same things online can be really helpful. Okay. Okay. And as you have grown in your guiding work, what What's been the, the challenges you faced? I mean, you, you had a, a J-O-B until a couple of years ago, as did I. And then all of a sudden we decide something. There's a lot of other things out there that I'd rather be doing. When you began to, to then explore the, the, the life of a, of a fly fishing guide, what are some of the, the favorite parts and actually maybe even the challenging parts that you have faced and how have you kept this motivation going? Yeah, I would say the, I'll start with rewarding, which is just seeing progression. I think that's just very, oh man, I, I get a high off of it of seeing folks of whether it's they're, they're embarrassed of their skills. They're kind of like, I don't know, they're getting tangled, they're getting frustrated. And then just seeing them by the afternoon of being independent, they're also wanting to learn to be like tying on their own things or are trying new things or new casts. And you can just see the flow in them and the excitement and that confidence. That's, I think that to me is what I thrive on is just seeing that transformation throughout a day. And so that's what continues to help me guide <laughs> and that momentum and that drive. Also creating more access for folks that feel like they wouldn't be able to do it. So I get a lot of clients that are women of color, trans identities, um, the queer community. I work with a lot here in the Valley. And so they would never be able to, or never even think about going out there if it wasn't accessible for them. So those are awesome things that I like to, that keep me um, involved in the community and this in, the, in guiding. And then on the flip side, unfortunately, there's um, um, instances of um, a bullying <laughs> that I've dealt with, especially last year, of even questioning, like, why do I guide for certain people? Um, permitting is pretty tough to come by here in Colorado to become an outfitter. There's a lot of red tape around it. Um, and it's just a lot of political things that are happening that prevent folks like me from becoming my own outfitter in the way that I want to do it. Whereas mm. there's a lot of, um, you know, just uh, just a lot of stuff, you could say, on the back end of, of doing that. Um, with this is the way it's always been older, older folks, um, in the community that are, are holding and grasping dearly onto their permits. And so it's, it can be really frustrating and really challenging. And I think just continuing to think about those folks that I did see the light kind of go off of like, Hey, I love this thing. How can I continue to thrive? How can I actually support you versus these political things that are happening <laughs> and so it's kind of a it's an interesting mix of uh, of why but also some red tape that i ran into okay okay so tell us more about your work to open up the outdoors and the activities the the, the fly fishing for example 
to BIPOC individuals? Would it and would it, it perhaps you could also include the the what is the angling for all pledge? Because I'm assuming that's related to it as well. So tell us more about that and these initiatives that you're working on now. Yeah, I would say um, I had a started again with curiosity. I would say of does anyone else go through these things that I go through? And like, do other folks like me find themselves just struggling and dealing with discrimination and racism and things on the water? And I think that's kind of simultaneously when I was asking these questions, I came across brown folks fishing. And the founder is Tracy Lin Chung. And she is the social media founder of brown folks fishing and also just a very good dear friend of mine. And she and I kind of brainstormed of like getting frustrated at not only individuals on the water, but looking at brands and organizations and how they perpetuate this idea of this lack of representation that people of color are out on the water. And so um, we know we're there. <laughs> we started an Instagram account letting us, letting other people know that we're out here. Um, and so, but um, when it comes to representation, it's totally lacking. And to me, representation is important because if you can't see yourself out there, you're likely not going to do it. It just doesn't seem accessible. And so we kind of put our heads together with Real Consulting and Brown Folks Fishing and created the Angling for All Pledge, um, which um, just kind of overall, it's uh, establishing a benchmark uh, for learning and a commitment to addressing racism um, and also inequities and inequality with fishing and its industry. And so not even just looking at fly fishing, but fishing as a whole. And so how can we actually, um, the thing that we were starting to see were organizations and brands that care about inclusion and diversity and equity, but they just don't know where to start. And they fumble over conversations. They worry about getting it right. And so how can we actually create a program where this is, it feels like a safe place to kind of bring your ideas, concerns, your questions, and let's talk about it. Let's just put it all on the table in a very professional way. Because I'm one of the skills that I bring to this partnership is looking at organizational development and culture change, but also looking at diversity and inclusion to me has always been a basic leadership skill. And so why are we actually siloing this from leadership development when it's actually part of leadership development? And so with that lens, I was able to find Sydney, my partner, she's has a big background in social, social justice and racial equity. And so She's been working in political affairs when it comes to inequities for many years and doing DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion work for over 10 years. And so with our experience, um, we kind of come in and have these conversations with brands and organizations and individuals as well in like, hey, let's, how can we, let's just put it, let's just address the elephant in the room. Let's talk about what's happening in our national, our national, look at our national discourse right now, people like. This is happening in our in our society and us as a brand, um, we either want to get on board or have more understanding about this. And so we kind of created this program for folks to kind of be able to have access to this conversation. And so it's just kind of like a program where we start at the top. So it's really important for CEOs, executive directors, board members, et cetera, leadership teams to be able to be in the room being able to talk about these things because that's what their staff and their younger staff is talking about. That's what they want is <laughs> a more inclusive environment. And so we kind of walk them through a series of looking at our own individual identity. How do we fit and move about the world? And that kind of helps us build better communities. And that's kind of like our second step is building more authentic communities 
and not tokenizing folks, but authentically leading and partnering with other communities doing the work already so we're not reinventing the wheel and doing that respectfully. And then the third step is creating action. We want to jump to action right away because <laughs> we want to just prove that we're good people. But, you know, it takes some time to be able to actually see things start shifting. Culture change takes a long time. And so getting to that point is something that we help out with as well at the end. Very good. I'm curious, too, with organizations like the Outdoor Writers Association of America. I mean, that's how I, I met you last year. And how do you see organizations and even your participation in organizations like the OWAA helping to further uh, craft and, and, and introduce this, new, this message that, you know, of, of inclusion, of, of really being empathy and understanding and, and wanting to learn and, and also to be curious. How do you see organizations like this being a part yeah. of this? Yeah, I did a, a workshop uh, last year with OWAA, and it was called Tokenization versus Representation. And so it's just like, what's the difference of, hey, I want to be able to be a respectful journalist, writer, content creator, um, and highlighting folks of folks that aren't typically included or, or added to the narrative. And so it's how do we do this respectfully? And it was a nice, awesome, like half day workshop of looking at his, like understanding our history um, and how it comes to our own identities as well when it comes to interacting with this history and then how to move forward with that. And so it was a lot of time of spending um, of building authentic relationships and doing this meaningfully versus slapping a brown face on a photo or a magazine cover or in an article just because. And then moving on to your next subject. We most folks of color in the, the BIPOC community look to build more relationships versus meaningless transactions. And so it's kind of this new paradigm of thinking and the approach of whose story is getting told and how it's being told and what are the relationships that are forming at, at, at the foundation of it all. And so I think that's like one thing that folks can kind of look at is why is this important to me? <laughs> why do I want to tell this story and how I get a lot of questions a lot of my work is how do I reach out to people? And honestly, it's just kind of going back to middle school sometimes of making that new friend. And it's awkward. <laughs> and introduce yourself. And what do you do? And get to know people and get to know their work, get to know who they are, especially with social media. It's, it's do your research about this person and really find meaning as to like why you want to build a connection with them and why you want to tell their story. And I was really grateful to some journalists that were able to connect with me on that way. It was, it's more, it's more impactful, I would say. And it shows through the writing and the work too, of how you were able to spend time with this person versus just, I need a subject, I need to get it out there, and then I need to move on and find the next. Right, right. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the Awkward Angler podcast. When did you get this hair like, hmm, <laughs> There's all these podcasts out there. I, I did, was this something you thought of, wanted to do? Did somebody suggest it to you? And how's it going? Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, the Awkward Angler podcast. I like to cut, describe it as an authentic series talking about social justice, fishing, and storytelling with folks in the outdoor industry. And I would say it's it was kind of was a pandemic project, but also it's something I've always wanted to do. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and that's the way that. 
I I don't really watch much TV, but I have a podcast kind of playing in the background throughout the day and just learning different things. And it's fun how you kind of almost feel like you're in a relationship with the host almost because you <laughs> hear them so much. And and I've started to feel that kind of on Instagram of this audience that was messaging me and following me and really just kind of engaging in dialogue and um, I'm also part of in-person communities as well of these conversations with Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. It's this, hey, it, it's those questions that I have, right? Of Do you deal with this too? <laughs> and I thought, what if I actually just had, like, I really just want to hit a record button talking to one of my good friends because I feel like the industry needs to know of what we're talking about because we talk <laughs> and uh, we we're always sending articles. We're always like sending things to each other, but we have a different perspective, I would say, or a different lens on looking at the world and how we move about the world. And it isn't always a popular opinion. And so I thought this is this is important for, I would say, the outdoor industry to know what we're talking about. And so it was just kind of one of those things of like, well, I have the time to shut down in, of COVID and why not start recording some conversations and looking at specifically fly fishing podcasts. It's always destination. It's always trophy fishing. It's always kind of, and I'm not against those things. It's just not what I'm looking for. And so I thought, why not create my own content of what I want to listen to? What is happening in the outdoors? And so it's kind of this can be a little serious, can be really funny, but also really informative. I'd say that's kind of most of the feedback that I get. And so right now I'm um, very, very pressed for time. And I wish I, I need to start looking at resources and possibly outsourcing because there's so much things I want to get out there, but I need, I'm doing it all myself. So creating it, writing it, producing it. And, um, you're, I, you're I have, speaking to the choir, my yeah, dear. it's a lot. And so, <laughs> uh, finding other means to be able to outsource things would be awesome. <laughs> all right. So, well, we yeah. might be able to help you with that one, but so. <laughs> Before we head out, I would love if you would lean into a couple of the themes we have in our podcast. The first one is the aha moment. And I love asking this question because, I mean, our guests have been from all walks of life and they all have stories, and this, but they're all passionate like yourself about the work that they're doing. And whether it's the activity of the fly fishing, for example, or making new connections and growing the community and awareness. What was your aha moment when you look back and you said to yourself, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this or I get to do this. Yeah. I have two moments. Last year was a very incredible year for me professionally. And I ended up launching and registering Awkward Angler as a business because I was getting so much work of public speaking and different articles and things. And I think it was finally when I was bombarded after the New York Times article came out. <laughs> it was, I was kind of just so busy with my head down doing this interview. And then once it came out, it was like, wow, this is a national, like, or this is a big publication. And my inbox just kind of blew up of different things and opportunities. and. I, I always struggle with imposter syndrome that I'm not good enough. No. <laughs> yeah, it was really like I get emotional about it because it was really special to see like national rec recognition of the work that I've been doing and then also be able to be invited on certain trips as well. Like I was just in Brazil 
the end of November and December. So it was kind of like a beginning of the year of the New York Times article. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. I didn't think it was going to be this awesome and big and to see my work displayed in such a way. And then also at the end of the year, being invited on this really kind of like a VIP travel Brazil fishing trip down in the Amazon. And it was very, um, a very luxurious trip to be able to catch some peacock bass. And I'm like, this is my job right now. This is pretty awesome. I <laughs> said to eat Brazilian food, eat, drink the cocktails, and then catch these awesome, beautiful fish in the Amazon. So that was a pretty awesome experience. I'd say that started my year and then kind of ended my year. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. And just the, the variety of the fishes that you were able to see and catch and the experience that uh, had to have been phenomenal for you. Yeah, it was awesome. We're holding good. a piranha and then eating a piranha for lunch. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. So I am curious too, for our listeners, what one final piece of advice or insight, perhaps it's a quote, a book, or something somebody shared with you or you learned along the way that you would like to share with our listeners? What's your insight to go? I didn't think that this was much insight until I had a friend reach back out to me recently and say, you said this and it stuck with me, which is if it's not fun, don't do it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so why waste our time sometimes and things that are not fun? Life is short and um, enjoy it. Really. I'm all for just kind of, um, yeah, seeing, seeing what happens. I'm messing around and seeing what happens. There's other I terms of that. I love it. I'm messing around. That's just another word for being curious. So I, yeah, I love exactly. that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, we're going to provide backlinks to the New York Times article. Then we've got a couple others that we pulled from your website. So that'll give people a taste of the work that you have been doing. Now, as far as website and social sites, if our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work, where are the best places for them to go? Yeah, I'm pretty active on Instagram. My handle is at awkwardangler and awkwardangler.com is my website as well. Okay. And you have the YouTube page as well. And I do. I mostly post podcast episodes there. I'm okay. a little behind on the last season, but if folks want to tune in there, they're able to, to do so. Fantastic. Well, Erica, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Outdoor Adventure Series podcast and appreciate you taking the time to help us launch our fifth season, 2023. And I'm really, and I can't think of a better way than have a, be curious about who you are and what you've been up to. And I, I know our listeners are, are going to enjoy hearing all about you and your work. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, listen, stay on the line. We're going to do a quick close and you and I can have a final chat. Okay. Sounds good. Very good. All right, folks. We have just been chatting with Erica Nelson, outdoor enthusiast, angler, and fly fishing guide, and host of the Awkward Angler podcast. Lots of great discussion today, everything from BIPOC individuals exploring the outdoors and really some of the roadblocks that they perhaps have faced as they began to explore and get out into, into nature. And really, we learned a lot about the work that Erica and her organization and through the Angling for All Pledge, the work they're doing with the um, the the product producers, the, 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 the vendors that take people out to get them involved in this discussion so that 
outdoor activities and enjoyment is for everyone. And we really appreciate the, the effort that she and her partners are involved in this activity. And we also learn about prompted Erica to get involved with fly fishing and to become an accomplished. Now, she says she has imposter syndrome, but I, I perhaps need to have a discussion with her about that because as a coach, we can, do, we can work on what it means to have that imposter syndrome because I don't know about you, but Erica has done some amazing things. And in fact, she caught and ate a piranha. So I, I think that's pretty amazing as well. I just cooked up a, a salmon yesterday. That's the extent of my exploration. But really appreciated her taking the time to join us on the Outdoor Adventure Series podcast. Now, we're going to provide some backlinks to some of her articles. And we'll also have backlinks to her website, awkwardangler.com as well as to her Instagram page and her YouTube. Okay, folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day. Hope you have a fantastic 2023. And we're excited to be bringing you more episodes throughout the year. You can find us on OutdoorAdventureSeries.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and on LinkedIn on our Outdoor Adventure Series pages. And you can also find short segments on our YouTube page. And this episode is available on all of the major podcast directories. Have a fantastic day, and we will see you on a future episode of the Outdoor Adventure Series podcast. Take care now.